0: Good morning, Perkoptan. Happy to have you back. Full admission here, I slacked off a bit last week, and that is because I've got a lot going on, and my partner was out of town for a week. She was down in Texas, and I guess it was just too much to manage the house, the dogs, and the production schedule. So my bad, but she's back, and we are back to normal. I'm actually working on a couple of solutions that will free up some of my time, including a personal assistant, which feels obnoxiously posh, but that's just something I'm going to have to make peace with. If I can't fulfill my role as content creator because I'm spending all day putting out fires, the reality is I need help, so it's time to hire that help. I've also begun training a member of our community to become a podcast engineer so I won't have to do the editing and post-production work anymore. And all this is really just an update to let you know where we're at, and to be clear that I'm well aware we're experiencing a few growing pains, but that I'm very much on top of mitigating them as swiftly as I possibly can. I also need to tell you that Merrick Casabon, while I think he is a good source for book number one, structures meditations differently than George Long and differently than Gregory Hayes. So I must stress that it's important when going back to read these things on your own, that you use the link in the episode show notes to get to the correct translation. Otherwise, you will be very confused because the meditation numbers will not line up. Case in point, today we have to look at meditation 1.1 again from Casabon to read what Long calls meditation 1.3. It turns out Casabon combined related meditations while Long did not. So for the next two episodes, that is to say, this episode and next Monday's episode, I'll bounce around a little bit, but we'll get more in sync as we go along through the book. I'd also like to say that I'm in my living room recording now, and this is kind of a new setup for me, so I'd love feedback if the audio quality is noticeably better or worse. If it's just the same, that's great. Today we are going to revisit Book 1, Meditation 1, to read what is defined in other places as Book 1, Meditation 3, and here is that meditation. Of my mother, I have learned to be religious and bountiful and to forbear, not only to do, but to intend any evil, to content myself with a spare diet, and to fly all such excess as is incidental to great wealth. Marcus's mother's name was Domitia, and I think the lessons from her are some of the most important that Marcus learns throughout his young life. His father, as you may well know, died early in his childhood, something you can learn in Donald Robertson's graphic novel, Verissimus. So his mother all but raised him, or at least, had perhaps the largest impact on his upbringing. Now, as an atheist, you might think I would mind the use of the word religious here, but I don't. I think what Marcus is getting at is that his mother taught him to think of things in a more big-picture sort of way. He owes his life to something. He has a purpose. His life isn't just about him, it's about much more. No doubt, as he grew older, other people would color exactly what it meant to live for others and for something greater than himself, but to begin his adolescence with the understanding that living for something other than himself was a sort of virtue certainly had a huge impact on him. And I think we should visit the literal translation of this meditation as provided by Deeple Translate and the Perseus program at Tufts University. That reads as follows. The mother of the godly, and contagious, and vulgar, and desirous not only of abusing, but also of being made of such things, and the fat in the diet, and for the riches of the riches. The problem with direct translations is they don't have the context of the time period and they don't have the human knowledge of that context to make things more clear what was meant. Good luck translating Koine Greek to English and not losing some of what was actually meant. That's one of the reasons we have Eric on the team. But I am not Eric and I don't speak Greek, Koine or otherwise, nor do I speak Latin. But I'm pretty clever and I think there's something worth pointing out in this raw translation. You know my favorite meditation is 2.1, where Marcus talks about human beings working together, that it is their job, so to speak, but also of being made of the same portion of the divine, of the logos or divine fire, as anyone else is. That people are evil because they don't know about the beauty of good, and that we should seek not to shame them for that, but to help them see the beauty of good, and realize that we ourselves could easily be them if we didn't know the beauty of good ourselves. I think that that sounds almost exactly like and desirous not only of abusing, but also of being made of such things. I think Marcus's mother was probably his rock, and very likely also the bedrock of what he became, more than anyone else he learned from, because she seems to have been the first one to cultivate his natural dispositions. She was likely also more philosophical herself than most women at the time would have been. When Marcus's father died, she was left to raise them and oversee the running of a brick and tile factory on her own. So Domitia was, again, not your typical second century AD woman. She was an entrepreneur and likely very practical as a result of the business she was in and the losses and struggles she had to endure as a single mother. Of course, she was wealthy, and she did have servants, but when you're a mother and a widow, servants and wealth don't do much to change how you feel about your dead husband or your only son. She was clearly a very unique and impressive human being, and no doubt this benefited Marcus immensely. Not only to do, but to intend any evil. This might seem strangely worded, but I believe the meaning is that Marcus should not simply do evil out of ignorance, but do it intentionally. This isn't a directive to do intentional evil, which is what it may seem like at first glance. Rather, I believe it is a directive to pay attention to what you're doing so that the only evil you do is intentional. The suggestion being, again, I think, That if you're aware enough to be doing intentional evil, you wouldn't be doing evil at all because you'd be aware you were doing it and that would prevent you from doing it since no man or woman knowingly does evil. They only mistake evil things for being the appropriate thing to do. Like I said, Domitia appears to have been a bit of a philosopher in her own right. And then lastly, to content myself with a spare diet, and to fly all such excess as is incidental to great wealth. Imagine a woman of Domitia's means telling Marcus to content himself with a spare diet, when he certainly wouldn't have had to. Marcus's family was rich enough to have almost anything, and yet here's his only surviving parent telling him to temper his expectations and desires. She might have said something like, Sure, you might be rich, but what does your body really need, Marcus? not much. And in regards to excesses like fancy clothes, material possessions, and the like, fly them or flee them. You don't need them. They are nothings, dead weight. Today I would like you to reflect on a few things discussed in this meditation. Take the whole week if you like. First, consider the evils you do because you're simply not paying attention to your actions, and you're not focused on trying. You're maybe just adrift and acting without thinking. How can you change that? How can you become more intentional in the things you say and the actions you express? Second, think about excesses. You no doubt have them. I know that I do. Are they serving you or are they getting in the way? If they're not serving you, that may well be fine, so long as they're not getting in the way. Maybe you have a bunch of streaming services on your phone. That might be okay for you, that you're paying for them and that you spend time engaging with them. But if you're the sort of person who lays in bed for an extra two hours every night binging the latest show on Netflix, or who allows these sorts of things to distract them from more important work, perhaps you shouldn't have them in your life. Perhaps they are weighing you down more than you think they are. Now, this isn't a call for cutting the cord completely or getting rid of all your things and becoming the ultimate minimalist. We're not Diogenes. And Marie Kondo will likely never be a guest on this podcast, but it is a call to make a few assessments that might be long overdue.